Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I don't know about you guys, but for me, a game is 10 times more exciting when I'm putting my own money on it. Sometimes I have a gut feeling about a matchup, and sometimes I'm just betting on my team because they're my team. Regardless whether you've been betting for years or you're ready to play for the first time, my bookie is your best bet this season. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, just string together all the Ohio teams every single week and bet that they'll lose because on most occasions, you'll be right. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites, you know, maybe some Pittsburgh, you know, some Pittsburgh action going on there. Parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. So if you're going to do betting this season, if you're going to do it, do it right and do it smart. Go to mybookie.ag. And if you join right now, mybookie will double your first deposit. Use the promo code CHAIR, C-H-A-I-R, to activate the offer. That's promo code CHAIR to literally double your cash. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Go Steelers! Go Steelers! Say go Steelers! Go Steelers! said at one time that the sun did not set on the British Empire. And that certainly is true of the NFL empire as business continues apace. We have the combine going on even, even today, as well as collective, the collective bargaining agreement. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. It's March 1st, 2020. This is Tom coming to you from the Sawdust Studios at the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. Nick, I have some news. Give it to me. It's all over. Is it? Your mom asked me to walk at the mall today. And we were there with the zombie apocalypse. Saw the octogenarians, your mother and me. And we weren't winning, by the way, in the pace. Color me shocked. That's, That's too bad. The mall is like one of the, it's just a den of iniquity, isn't it? It's one of the lowest rungs of, of the ladder of humanity. And people's true colors often come out there, maybe even more than in traffic or the airport. No, the malls is mall. We, it's, it's opens before the stores open. They open the throw open the doors of the mall to let the old people walk. I don't know if you knew about this phenomenon. Wait, it, what? I thought that yeah. she was just making you go shopping. No, this is like an exercise related mall trip. Yeah, exercise related mall trip. It's in the it's in the high twenties, so uh, for exercise, people go inside and and walk the mall. Huh? Yeah, it's a thing. But I don't want to ruin the podcast with that. I also have my fingers crossed in this podcast. We are recording via Zoom because what we intend to do is uh, what we were unable to do last week is 
clip some of these things and make some posts to Instagram. So everybody cross your fingers. Although by the time you hear this, it'll be too late. This will either work or it won't work. Oh, it's going to work. On to the news, the collective bargaining agreement. It looks like it has a head of steam with obviously the owners and the NFLPA executive committee, and they're going to move it on to the players. And it seems like the proletariat will be in favor of this. I guess they're going to agree to, you know, if this goes through, they'll agree to that 17th game along with some other, some benefits. And they've stripped off the cap that they were going to add on the salary for that 17th game. But there is a cadre of players who are vehemently against this new contract. Yeah, there was the Marquise Pouncey video, which is Marquise Pouncey. Is he the coolest person in the NFL? I know. Let's just get this out of the way. Him and Mike wore free Aaron Hernandez hats at one point. And uh, it's hard to get that off your resume. I can't lie to you. They were teammates with Aaron Hernandez at Florida. And if you know anything about the Pounceys, they're the most loyal people on the earth. Marquise constantly you know, props up Ben and defends Ben when, when people are talking trash about him or whatever and says that when Ben retires, he's out. And <laughs> Ben basically says the same thing. Well, they still got Pouncey there, then I'm coming back. And they're very loyal guys. And they grew up rough and tumble. So that's going to rest, you know, the Aaron Hernandez thing, that's not great. But um, kicking Miles, Miles Garrett in the head after he uh, de-helmeted Mason Rudolph, Shows what kind of guy he is, because he'll even go bat for, for old bobblehead Rudolph. And I don't even think they have that much of a personal relationship, but that's how loyalty works. But either way, but, you know, besides that Hernandez incident, the Pounceys are voices for the people. And they were uh, – so Marquise filmed an Instagram Live video uh, from his car, basically cursing out the players' union – um, a lot of some of these players are upset with uh, D. Smith, Demory Smith, um, who is the head of the players' union, saying that basically he just agrees to whatever the owners put out there. And uh, you know, there are even other people who say he's agreeing with the with what with the owners put out there because he knows that you're not going to get anything better. The deal is only going to get worse after this year when there's like the TV contracts aren't at an all time high and when there's a lot of money to be around. So a lot of people with different opinions on it, but dad, I got to admit to you, maybe this is a good opportunity for you to educate me and everybody else. I pay attention to everything that happens in the NFL and the CBA stuff is very intriguing because you get to see if some of these players rights issues are going to get solved, but my eyes, my ears just glaze over sometimes whenever you hear about this. So let's maybe just, one little run over in terms of like, okay, so you have two sides. You have the players union who is represent, uh, Demory Smith is ahead of that. And each team has a player representative, right? And right. then you obviously have the owners. The owners all have to agree to what terms they want to put out there for the contract. They did that a week or two ago. So they're saying, okay, here are our terms. There's going to be 17 games. The 17th game, you get a cap of 250 grand, what you can make for that, et cetera, et cetera. Then the players come with their terms and they try and meet in the middle. So there's like a vote among the owners to decide on their terms. There's a vote among the players union to decide what terms they want to present. And then there's the actual negotiation of the two sides against each other. And so you said the owners have agreed to waive that $250,000 ceiling on that 17th game. What, I, what else can you give me on this? Well, 
let me not pretend to be a lawyer. I'll, I'll, you know, from a layman's standpoint, you, you, you about have it right. I mean, you have to form each side has to formulate some positions, and some of those positions will they're willing to give on, as we talked about last week, and others are firm firm points. I guess the fact that the owners were going to pay two fifty cap their game check for the seventeenth game at two fifty was a throwaway point because it's been reported that they're not going to insist on that. The problem is, go ahead. No, I was saying, because uh, I actually wasn't going to interrupt there, but I do have a point. You and I were talking about that last week. The $250,000 cap seems so ridiculous to us. We were wondering, is this just a negotiation ploy to make for the owners to say, hey, we know we're not going to put a cap on that 17th game. We know they're not going to agree to that. But if we put this fake cap on it and then we make the players feel like they negotiated us off of that it feels like a win for the players do you think that that's actually what happened it seems kind of obvious that's what happened it seems it's, it's so ridiculous it seems like a giveaway so they can say hey we you know we don't need to take you to 49 percent of the profits we've taken you to 48 because we waived this two hundred fifty thousand dollar cap but going back to the bigger picture you know, the NFLPA executive committee, you know, you've, you, you can't have, what is it, 3,000 players negotiating their side of the contract. So they rely on Demaris Smith. Demaris Smith? Am I getting it right? What is it, Demaris? Now I can't get it right. Some people just call him D. Smith, honestly. Anyway, he's an employee. And they have reps, they have reps from several teams comprising this executive committee. They have to come up with some positions. It might, the players might not be in agreement with that executive committee. We will find right. out takes place. And I think you're hearing that from Marquise Pouncey, the irony or the hypocrisy of a statement you made earlier, which is Marquise or the Pouncey brothers are men of the people actually doesn't play out here because they are, uh, the protest. I mean, they, they are against this, uh, what they've heard in this current contract. And you know what? That guys, those guys are rich already. I mean, what more, you know, really this collective bargaining agreement is attractive to, and guys that are early in their career or guys that are going to have a very short career. In what way? What, what way does the CBA um, help out the guys who are on the low end of the totem pole? Like I said last week, 17th game, give me the 17th game. I get right. a real game, another game check out of that. You're, I'm not even playing, so I'm not going to get injured. I just get the game check. <laughs> right, right. It's like, it's like getting a 7 or 8% raise in the middle of the season. So, you know, they're looking to make as much money to, to optimize their ability to make money as possible. So I'll bet you there are a lot of guys who are like, give me the 17th game. Do we have the numbers on? So when the players union and the player representatives had to uh, ratify the terms, if you will, was it a close vote? Do we have that? It's like, what do you need? Like 17 is the majority vote. And I'm pretty sure that's what happened. So it's not like, they're really like these terms are really speaking for the people. It's speaking for a slight majority, right? I know Aaron Rodgers came out and made a statement on Twitter saying, you know, a, a 17th game was never supposed to be part of these negotiations. And D Smith kind of caved in and, and, and just accepted that from the owners. James Harrison sort of said the same thing as well on Twitter. He called out Demory Smith uh, for these types of things. And Aaron says he's, you know, bringing points to the table that he hears from the guys in the locker room. And he talks to people as the representative of the Packers, and he's trying to represent the majority opinion in the locker room. Um, I get, it gets kind of convoluted, right? Because what do the players really want? It seems like obviously the more higher paid players vehemently dislike the 17th game. And that makes total sense because they're the ones getting hit the most. Chickalow gets hit 
six times a game on special teams, but then he's going to make an extra 250 grand or now if it's not topped, whatever it is. So, uh, the, I mean, what are you going to do? The owner, it's a business. The owners own the business. Like there's only so much leverage you have, I guess. They have zero leverage. They would have to even shut. I, I think the, the, the owners wouldn't shut down the season for an entire season. I mean, you've seen it before. They let in the scabs. They let in guys cross the pick line, and they'll they'll cobble together something, or at least they have demonstrated the willingness to do that. Yeah. So I just don't see, you know, maybe a an exodus of your star players. So these stars can either complain or they can put their money where their mouth is and just say, we're not playing. We're sitting out. But then do those lower totem pole guys actually want to sit out? And if you think about it, if there's a strike, those – or, or a lockout those lower totem pole players only technically only play three four years anyways right the average career length so like they can't lose a year in their early 20s i think that strategy is weak too i i just don't see what the players have a uh, short of a lockout and a lockout has proven to either be a short-lived or be ineffective in getting the players to move off the dime so yeah all the policies it's with the owners because they're willing to take some pain uh with a lockout and a strike Yeah. Well, fair enough. I mean, uh, for our selfish desires, we don't want to see less football. We want to see more football. We don't want to see a lockout. And we definitely don't want to see a lockout in the twilight of Ben Roethlisberger's career here when we barely have enough time with him. So maybe if you're a Patrick Mahomes fan, you can, you can stand it because you got another 20 years of domination from this guy. But for us, the time is now. Well, if, it, if it's true that Ben gets better with time and not playing, maybe two years off, they'll be even doubly as good. Hey, I'm not saying it's coming this year or next year, but it sure as hell ain't lasting another five. <laughs> so th- we have a very interesting situation in front of us with two marquee named quarterbacks who have become free, will, will become free agents middle of yeah. March 18th. Tom Brady and Phillip Rivers. Boo, boo. Why? Would guys, I mean, I could understand Rivers, you know, the team moving. Um, yeah, they moved. want to move on. They want to move on from him. They to- the Chargers told Phillip Rivers that we will be moving on from you, which is actually a pretty, it's a, it, it's a good deal because now they let him know to prepare for, you know, free agency. He said he's, he's wanted to play. Tom Brady thing is, is a whole other thing. Let's just start with Phillip Rivers real quick. I have a, a definitive opinion on the Phillip Rivers thing. Philip Rivers, if he had won a Super Bowl, he'd probably be a Hall of Fame quarterback. He has very comparable numbers to Ben. Um, obviously, Ben missing this whole season, putting him behind in the overall numbers. Um, obviously, not nearly the athletic talent or the thrower that Ben is, but he just he's a great passer of the football, and he's had an awesome career, and he's hilarious, and he's kind of lovable in his own way. Philip Rivers. He should... I, I would be terrified if he was the quarterback of my team. I don't care what team you are. I don't care if it's the Colts and you're super ready. The Colts allegedly have interest in him. Phillip Rivers' arm is shot. And this is something to look for, you guys. There are people like Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, actually, but um, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, people with great throwing motions, they'll stand the test of time. Those guys will be able to throw a football until they're 70 years old. Tom Brady, actually, around the 2012 time 2013 changed his throwing motion to make it look a little bit more like the Aaron Rodgers throwing motion which comes across the body a little bit more it puts less strain on your arm and his arm strength is still great 
Now, Ben is a weird case because he's got this elbow thing, but la- you know, the last year he was playing, arm strength hadn't declined an ounce. Some of the accuracy and stuff, yeah, sure, but you have to wonder how much of that is really just more due to the guy being a little bit gun-shy about getting hit, which is usually what happens to these old quarterbacks. Philip Rivers has always had the goofiest throwing motion in the history of the NFL in terms of actually good quarterbacks, so his arm is destroyed. And he threw over 20 interceptions last year, and a huge reason for that is because when there's a guy open over the middle of the field, he's going to try and squeeze into the window. He does not have the talent to do it. And that's why I dislike Mason Rudolph, because if that guy doesn't have the talent to do it now, you know, sure as hell isn't going to get better over time. So Philip Rivers, to me, is a disaster. It, let's say Ben couldn't play um, this year for whatever reason, and Philip Rivers was still a free agent three weeks into the season. I'd rather have him than Rudolph because they have comparably bad arms. Rudolph's might be a little bit better, but obviously Rivers is much smarter, much better leader, much better passer. But overall, to me, Rivers' career is really over just because from a physical standpoint, he's a total liability unless he's going to play a game manager role. That's how I feel about Rivers. But he does say he wants to play another year. He says two years at most. What, how would you feel if, like, let's say, if hypothetically the, the – the Steelers couldn't play with Ben this year. Who'd you rather have rivers or Rudolph? Mm. Yeah. 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 I guess I would do Rudolph just because at least I know you don't, you don't think this, but there's potential for the future with him. He could play years. If you're trying to plug a year, probably still with Rudolph. He's better. And so we also have, so, I you forgot. want to talk about Brady? Yeah, and I don't want to forget about Drew Brees either. No, we'll go there. For, I figure we could start. Well, Brees is staying with the Saints. They've, they've already said that. They just have to agree on his number. Yeah. Uh, um, one interesting thing is he did say on Pro Football Talk when he went on an interview with uh, during Super Bowl well, – no, yeah, during Super Bowl week with Chris Sims and Mike Florio, at that time he hadn't announced that he was going to come back. We didn't know if he was going to retire or not, but he did say – Taysom Hill is a big part of the Saints offense and he gets to run a bunch of these gadget plays and he's kind of the player that everyone, you know, that Tim Tebow maybe could have been if he had let himself play multiple positions instead of being stubborn about playing quarterback. Well, Taysom Hill really caught fire a little bit at the end of the year. And Brees said himself, if Taysom Hill needs to get more snaps at quarterback and that means Drew Brees plays less, so be it if it helps them win the Super Bowl. Said if it's got to be 70% me and 30% Taysom or 65, 35, and so be it. I'll do it if it means winning a Super Bowl. And that was pretty amazing because I, I believe him when he said that. If I were Drew Brees, I don't even know if I would be cool with that. I can't say for sure that I would or I wouldn't, but all I know is that's a tough decision for anyone. I don't see Ben or Brady saying yes to that. And I wouldn't even really totally fault Ben or Brady for not saying yes. But uh, before we go back to Tom Brady, that's just something interesting that I think about Drew Brees, um, that, he w- that he really is that selfless to not care. He's in a luxury position where he has Sean Payton, a guy who's going to make him still look good even at this advanced stage where Drew can't push the ball down the field, a guy who's going to be able to actually make Taysom Hill effective, who I don't think Taysom Hill would be good for 30 of the 32 teams. You know, He would need somebody like Shanahan or or Peyton running the team. And then it's also smart because if they win the Super Bowl, which they have a great chance at, no one's going to care that there's this asterisk of Taysom Hill, you know, being there. Like 
Tom, like, uh, what's his name? Peyton Manning <laughs> threw like more interceptions than anyone in the league and played like half the games his last year, winning the Super Bowl for the Broncos. But at the end of the day, he's still two time Super Bowl champion, Peyton Manning. Well, I do, I, you know, we can't appreciate the, the ego of these guys. Uh, so it just makes the Drew Brees position that much more attractive that he's willing to do that. I just, when do these guys say uncle? I mean, certainly Brady isn't ready to say uncle his career is done, but it is good. Right. Some guys, it's just sad to see them hang on, but let's go to, let's go to Brady. So he signed a one-year contract for $23 million this past year, 20, 20 million guaranteed. Um, no franchise tag allowed. That yeah, contract specifically That's- said you can't franchise tag me. And if you're Tom Brady, you can do that. <laughs> but if you're anybody else, it's not happening. Well, so he, he can earn a base of $30 million this year in 2020, but the contracts are starting to approach way over $30 million. I mean, they're yeah. talking about close to $40 million. Yeah, especially with Mahomes coming up and, and Dak Prescott, who's not at Mahomes level, but he is a top 10, top 12, top 15 quarterback. Probably around the top 10 for my money. But this is a really good comparison because I think you got Tom Brady, Phillip Rivers, and Drew Brees. And actually, you have Ben Roethlisberger over to the side. There's this category of quarterbacks who are old quarterbacks. And for some reason, the public can't get it through their head that Drew Brees and Tom Brady are not as good as they were three or four years ago. Oh, this is Drew Brees. This is Tom Brady. Well, they're still good. That's why. Because they don't suck. Like Rivers, he kind of sucks now. He's not as bad as Eli was, but he's sure as hell not anywhere in the same planet as Philip Rivers was four years ago. Philip could still really carry a team at that time in his career. Brady and Breeze, I don't think that they have, I-, I don't categorize them with Rivers where they're like a liability. They have to retire. Can they do all the things that they used to do? No, they don't. Like Brady seems a little bit squeamish. I wouldn't say squeamish in the pocket, but he's just, he's been so unbelievably unflappable and poised in the pocket over the years. That's one of his big strengths is he can avoid people in the pocket and he doesn't mind taking hits. He's humongous. He gets the ball out quick. Well, he doesn't have that quite what he used to, but he still has a good arm. Drew Brees doesn't have a good arm anymore, but he's Drew Brees. He's the, the definition of an accurate passer. So if they're surrounded with really good surrounding casts, they can still be good. I think Tom Brady leaving New England will be the dumbest thing he could ever do. New England is literally a receiver or two away from another Super Bowl. They have a great defense. Their offense, it's Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. They can get an offense together. They, they play on a crap division. I, I, I'm not sold on the Bills and the Jets yet. Do I think the Bills will be good again next year? Yes. Do I think that the Patriots are their daddy? Absolutely. Until proven otherwise, I'm not buying it. And then you got the Dolphins who are still rebuilding. You get to stay in the offense you've been playing in for 20 years. It's such a huge advantage. If there was another situation out there, like a perfect situation, let's say San Francisco decided we want to get rid of Jimmy G. Okay, then go there because they're ready to go back to the Super Bowl and you could go to the Super Bowl there. But to me, if he's going to Indianapolis or whatever, they're, you know, they're an example of a team that has some good pieces around them. But like, you know, Giselle's not going to want to move to Indianapolis and she's a big part of that. They're not as good as the Patriots. They're not as well coached. They're playing a tougher division. I don't see the benefit of him leaving. Clearly, this is an ego thing. Maybe Belichick is trying to push him out the door and trying to get ready for the next guy. Maybe Brady is trying to prove I can do this without Belichick. I got news. He's not going to do it without Belichick unless he's on the Niners. 
or some team that's absolutely super loaded. So do I think it's 50-50 that he'll leave, but the best decision is to stay in New England. Well, can we? I thought we would take a look at some other big-name quarterbacks that left their teams late in their career. And right now I'm looking at Brett Favre. Favre. So he goes to the Jets, but ends up in Minnesota for two seasons. He goes to a conference championship the first year. And I'm looking at 2010. Well, I can give it to you off the top of my head. And if Pat were here, he could give give you an hour on it. But he he um, basically was wiffle-waffing, like wiffle-waffing with retirement. And they had Aaron Rodgers on the team already. And the Packers told him they gave him like a hard deadline in the spring. Like, we need to know if you're coming back by this time. Otherwise, we need to get ready. He didn't respond by that time. After the deadline passed, he said he wanted to come back. And there was a whole hoopla of them trying to get him out of Green Bay. But with explicitly having the goal of not letting him go to a division rival, a.k.a. the Vikings or the Lions or the Bears. So they were able to trade him to New York. And in the first eight games that season, he was phenomenal. Prime Brett Favre, fantastic. Body kind of broke down, did not play well over the next eight games, and bitterly and smartly worked his way to the Vikings. It reminds me of what we went through with Antonio Brown, with us all saying, God, help us. Please don't let him go to the Patriots or the Ravens. The Roonies came out there saying, we're not, we're, we'll let him go anywhere except for the Patriots. Uh, we're open to every team except for the Patriots. I said that specifically. You and I were mentioning, like, he can find his way there somehow. Sure enough, it took a couple months and he found his way there. So who would Brady go to that would piss off the Patriots? Well, Indianapolis. The Patriots hate the Colts. Remember the rivalry is back on comment they had? The, uh, the Colts ownership said the rivalry is back on when they hired Josh McDaniels on or agreed uh, to make him the new head coach. And then McDaniels backed out of the job and said, no, I'm going to stay in New England. And by that time, all the other coaches in the coaching search had been taken up. So he just really left Indianapolis high and dry. Well, by the way, they ended up getting Frank Reich out of it. So it worked out very well for them. But the Patriots essentially screwed them there. The Colts are the ones who reported the, the deflate gate thing. The Colts, the Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady rivalry in the 2000s. That's a big deal. So maybe Tom Brady will go to Indianapolis just to pull a Brett Favre like when he went to torture the Vikings or to torture the Packers with the Vikings. Well, it'll be interesting. I, I, I still find it hard to believe he's going to leave. Where do you sit? I think it will be dumb for him to leave, but I think it looks like he's really determined to leave at this point. Jeff Darlington from ESPN wrote, uh, put out a report this past weekend saying that or late in the week saying he would be shocked at this point, if Brady returned to New England based on things he's hearing. Um, I don't buy that. I mean, I wouldn't be shy. I'm not saying it's a fake report. I think that it sounds very real. He talked to some people in New England, but like I said, there's just not a perfect, like a perfect team for Brady to go to in terms of like winning. Brady's used to winning. He doesn't want to lower that insane winning percentage he has. He doesn't want to go somewhere not compete for a Super Bowl, but maybe he is stubborn enough to go to Indianapolis would be kind of the one place I could think he would go to. Maybe, man, he could be okay in Tampa Bay. They have some real weapons around them. I don't know if he can actually sit in the pocket and take hits like Bruce Arians expects his quarterbacks to do, or basically punching bags who throw bombs all the time. But yeah, I think it would, it would be a little dumb 
But we have some other quarterbacks written on this list here. And it is interesting because you think of these guys changing teams, especially late in their career. And actually, there is a pretty good record of success here. Like we got Joe Montana. He, he went to the Chiefs, took him to an AFC championship game. Peyton Manning, two Super Bowls with the Broncos. You know what's funny is Andre, our good buddy, and, and Laura, my girlfriend, uh, later in life football fans, they became – more, they didn't grow up with it as much as then they, they got really into it in college. And later, you know, when the Seahawks Legion of Boom thing was going on, when Laura moved to uh, Seattle, and that's when they kind of got into the NFL. They think of Peyton Manning as a Bronco. And I just had this conversation with them. It, this shocking to me because he is a cult. They're going to be putting a statue of him in front of that, that building. And I don't know if he's going to try and spite them for, for jettisoning him, you know, when the Hall of Fame time comes around and trying to talk more about the Broncos or whatever it is. But, hey, he went to two Super Bowls. Uh, one of the Super Bowls he went to, they had basically like the number one offense of all time and got absolutely rocked by the Seahawks. And then he's the worst quarterback in the whole league, and they win the Super Bowl. And he, he plays a good game manager role in the playoffs, unfortunately, for Steelers fans. But, yeah, there are guys, you know, Carson Palmer, getting to the AFC championship game in Arizona. Warren Moon had some success. Bledsoe had a little success. We've, there's guys who have had success doing this. But on all that is holy, we do not want Ben Roethlisberger on this list. And luckily for us, I don't think that that's going to happen. So a little sad news. Uh, Dan Radakovich, former Pittsburgh Steeler coach, I think he uh, both offensive line and defensive line, died at the age of 84. He had uh, started as a starred as linebacker at Penn State. Spent a lot of years there as a as an assistant coach before he came with came to the Steelers in 1971 for a year as a D line coach. Left to go back to coach at college again for a couple of years and came back at just the right time. Talk about a guy with timing. He came back in 1974 to coach the offensive line for the next four years, 74 through 77, and then uh, migrated to a series of other other teams eventually landing at the great football juggernaut Bobby Moe for the Bobby Moe the capstone his glory career this reminds me of the parallel in pop culture where we're seeing a lot of the great rock stars go down you're starting to see old famous great Steelers go down with uh, obviously Dan Rooney now you got Redakovich obviously Daryl Drake uh, prematurely uh, is tragedy there but uh yeah it's sad you see these guys these guys going but you gotta look them not the bright side but it is nice to sort of get a moment to relive some of the cool things that they accomplished and then it also gives you a moment to relive the cool things that the Steelers accomplished and just get a better feel for the the men who built the steel foundation that is the juggernaut we see today Hey, so we'll ask you to take uh, 30 seconds to listen to a clip from our buddies at Thirst and Goal. Do you love NFL football, fun, and booze? Join us at Thirst and Goal podcast every Saturday night for weekly NFL coverage, whiskey, bourbon, scotch, and beer reviews. We mix expert football analysis with signature drinks, original segments, and lots and lots of laughs. That's right, football fans. Please join us at Thirst and Goal podcast by heading over to thirstinggold.buzzsprout.com or search Thirst and Goal podcast on the web. If you're tired of boring podcasts, Please come join our football party. 
I have to check, but is Tony Romo going to make more as a broadcaster than he did as a football player? Almost. Not quite. $17 million annually from CBS. Now, is that locked in stone, or did I see something about ESPN trying to make a run at him as well? Um, I don't know, but all I know is that $17 million per year for Tony Romo is that's a... Can you nail this any more than he's nailed it? Shoot. I mean, he's right time, right place, and he's the right guy. We all we raved about him when he first came yeah. on and still continue to do so. What what I understand is that ESPN took a run at took a run at him, didn't fail to get him. Tony's gonna stay with CBS. I don't think the contract signed yet, but Peyton, ESPN's gonna go for Peyton Manning. Well, that's a great move because we all assume that Peyton will be incredible. He's got a great personality he's been great on tv and then we know he's, he might be the smartest player to have ever played the game at least one of them and uh all i can say is the bar couldn't be any higher because like the pressure's on you know tony romo has this sort of childlike wonderment peyton can be very intense behind closed doors he has a reputation for f-bombing teammates into the ground and being very tough during practices nobody wants to mention that because he's beloved, and I also love Peyton. You can't help it. But I wonder if some of that darkness could come out on, uh, on the broadcast. But you'd have to assume he's going to be unbelievable. But I wanted to talk about something with the Tony Romo contract that happened on Twitter. Michael Thomas, the receiver for the Saints, star receiver for the Saints, he put out some, a tweet saying, Tony Romo announcing games making more money than 90% of the NFL players playing games is just downright wrong or something like that. He said that that's wrong. And I feel like that take just couldn't be any like further off the mark. It's so simple in terms of, listen, football is a business cliche tacky as that is to say it is a business and the business owners reward the people who bring in the most money to the business. So yeah, is he's a lot more valuable than maybe not Matikavich. Matikavich is first in special teams tackles, but you know, than some lower end bottom barrel special teams player who you're referring to, or even more than you know the ninety percent that you're referring to, because it's not just special teams players. He's making more than seventeen million dollars. That's a lot of damn money, but you know he's valuable for the NFL. My question for this or my question for you is this, like, does he actually bring in money though? Because that was my first initial reaction. It's like, dude, he's a star. The people love him. Ratings are up when he's on and he's a, a huge asset for the NFL. But is anybody turning on games as a fan of Tony Rumble's announcing or are people turning off games because of booger and bad announcers or they just mute them? Does it actually make a difference on the bottom line? I guess is what I'm asking you. So is would Romo bring in more listener uh, viewers than Ian Eagle, for instance? They had these nameless, faceless, almost pseudonym-like guys doing the announcing who sort of in the background. Does he? What do you think? Do we have data to back this up? Do we need to get the intern on this? You know what the data that we need? $17 million. CBS thinks he brings in value. So let me point out a couple of little factoids. CBS pays a billion and a half in the current package, mm. which if isn't renegotiated, goes through 2021. Tony Romo costs 1% of that. Now, obviously they're paying 1.5 to the NFL and they have their own operating expenses, which includes Romo, but 
on the scale of things, that ain't much. I was trying to figure out how much CBS makes on this contract. I'll tell you everything I read. You, I mean, this is all proprietary information. So you can't find exactly what the profit is for any of these broadcasters like ESPN, ABC, and so forth. Mm-hmm. I don't think they make much. I think, you know, they have to really pray for high ratings for the Super Bowl to sort of put a cherry on top. And I think they hope to do a little better than break even on these contracts. One of the things that CBS is trying to do is increase its its content streaming service, you know, the subscribers to that. Because yeah. broadcast TV is losing people Bucks. left and right. So yeah. I'd rather be like everybody else is trying to get a subscription model going. And I think this is just one more asset they can put in there. So they're, you know, currently the NFL is getting, I think, $5 billion a year from broadcast rights. It's, it's purported to go to um, 10, million, 10 billion in the next contract. Right. So That's why I want to get that CBA done so quickly. Shizzy. So I guess there's no answer to your question about, you know, what's the data to prove that Romo brings in more viewers? The fact that CBS is on the edge of a knife with its profitability on this contract and wants to pay him 17. I bet you he brings in viewers. Yeah. And, and just because I disagree with Michael Thomas's tweet doesn't mean too many double negatives here, but like we obviously know there are tremendous issues with player rights, you know, especially just look at the rookie contract situation. The fact that someone like Todd Gurley can be breaking yardage and touchdown records his first four years in the NFL. And then he finally gets a big contract and he gets an injury that makes him less effective. And the general public wants to say like, well, you should cut him because he's not worth $60 million a year to which I would like to respond. Okay. Well, he was worth a hell of a lot more than 1 million per year in the four years prior, but nobody was complaining about that when you were getting him on a bargain, there's issues there. Obviously the medical care, uh, after you finish your playing career, obviously the hilarious laughable double standards on player safety, 17 games, come on, and, and all kinds of stuff like that. So, of course, there's massive changes that need to be made. I just don't think this is one of them. This is an entertainment business, and one of the biggest players in that is Tony Romo. I mean, he's in creating social media engagement, you know, especially that first year when people were talking about him, and uh, it's not uh, – you know, they have the money and people want to bid on him. So that's how we got the money. So I'd say to Michael Thomas, come back to me when you get your economics degree. Because they're not even in the same business. He's not a football player. Romo isn't a football player anymore. You can't compare a guy who doesn't play football to football players. I guess you don't really need an economics degree, do you? I guess I, I would like to see. Maybe had he gone to Bobby Moe, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. Oh, right yeah. Now. Oh, yeah. You go to Bobby Moe, your econ game is strong. But I would like to see what it would have looked like with Tony Romo when he was a football player throwing balls to Michael Thomas because they were both beasts. Michael Thomas, mm, I think he was. I, don't, I wouldn't say he's an underrated receiver. I think he's getting a lot of attention right now. But Tony Romo, an all-time underrated quarterback, uh, he got this weird reputation, especially with that first year when he took the NFL by storm as an undrafted free agent. It wasn't a rookie quarterback. I want to say it was like a rookie or a second-year guy, led them to the playoffs, and lo and behold, he was still the holder on field goal kicks in the playoffs because he was supposed to be the backup quarterback. 
drops the hold on the game-winning field goal against the Seahawks and they get kicked out of the playoffs. And I think that reputation stuck with him for life because over the last six to 10 years of his career, he was statistically the most clutch quarterback in the fourth quarter, had the best rating of anybody. He was a great quarterback, but that reputation followed him around. And then when you don't win a Super Bowl, your stock goes down as well. So he's very underrated. And then until Ben retires, he'll be the most underrated quarterback I can think of because once Ben retires, he will be the most underrated quarterback of all time. People just, you know, after the early career incidents, people just hate him. That's going to stick with him forever. Uh, they don't want to see if people can grow like he clearly has done. He's not a perfect guy, but he's grown up a lot. Um, and uh, he was in the Peyton Manning, Tom Brady era, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, and he's right there with them. But people just wanted to stick again with that early career narrative of like, oh, he's, he's big. That's it. And he can avoid sacks and it's not pretty, but it gets the job done. And you and I are here like, yeah, 10 years ago. But have you watched the last 10 years of Ben Roethlisberger shredding teams more 500 games than any quarterback of all time? The only person to throw six tutties and back-to-back games and playoff games shredding the damn Jaguars, one of the best defenses I've ever seen with my waking eyes, all kinds of things. But still people want to say like, oh, yeah, he's big. I guess you're right. You might be interested to know that um, he, Tony Romo made over $17 million three times in his career. In his first contract, and t- actually his second contract in 2007, uh, he had a $27 million contract in 2013. And his next last contract, he just beat $17 million. And I know that was quite a number of years ago, but so he obviously did better. He also doesn't need to get hit today, so I think he's... It's probably a fair contract. He nailed it pretty hard. Let's move on to the NFL combine. We're in the final day. They're looking at DBs today. Yet another guy hit 4.39 in the 40. The only reason to, uh, I shouldn't say that. It's not the only reason to watch. There's actually no good reason to watch. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. The 40 Um, is the best. And even that is just a guy running. So the, the best, the best video from, the NFL combine, in my opinion, is Michael Turk pumping the bar about 225 pounds 25 times. He's a punter. Wait, Turk, is that the son of the other Turk punter? He is. He's the son of the other Turk punter. And I want to say that that original Turk set records for the bench press, too. So that's a pretty cool family tradition. Completely useless uh, for punting, but. <laughs> Matt Turk, NFL punter for 17 seasons with multiple teams. We'll have to look that up to see what his uh, bench press was, or if even if they had the combine back then, punters were invited. So the Steelers are meeting. I'm just seeing uh, a tweet right now. Go ahead. No, I'm seeing a tweet right now. Brady and Edelman. This is on Sports Center, actually. They're at some sort of football game, and Edelman sitting next to him, saying, "He's coming back. He's coming back." And Tom Brady shakes his head. So the tweets, did Tom Brady shake his head and say he's not? Oh, it looks like he says he's not. But Brady's, uh, Brady's brilliant with the social media, honestly. Maybe the best pro athlete with the social media. He's very mysterious. He had that picture um, where you can't tell whether he's walking in the stadium or out of the stadium. So whatever team he has behind him is, is pretty legit. And he's good at keeping that poker face, unfortunately. It looks kind of like Theo Vaughn, the comedian in this picture that's interesting but yeah let's get back to the combine real quick um listen the combine the nfl has made it into a televised entertainment event it's not that entertaining you're just 
It's really more of an excuse for teams to get boots on the ground, meet these guys in person so they can interview them, get a little bit more on their personalities, also to check out their medical in person to make sure that checks out, and just to see, you know, if what they saw on tape matches up with, um, you know, what they time in the 40. But for instance... Ragor, I don't know how to say his name, Rigor, Ragor, the uh, receiver from TCU who the Steelers have met with, he is an absolute speed demon. And he ended up running like something in the 4-4 or something like that. Um, and he's clearly much faster than that on the field. So you'd like, with somebody like that, you'd like to see like, he looks like 4-3 on the field. Let's see if he's 4-3 at the combine. But, you know, AB ran a slow 40 um, and he clearly plays much faster than that on the field. It's good for people like, Javon Hargrave, who played at South Carolina State, who are playing against lower competition. So you want to see, like, what do they look like next to these other guys? And if these numbers pan out with their strength and agility, it's like, okay, I know that they played against lesser competition, but just on a physical standpoint, this guy can play with the big boys. Um, So that's really the point of the combine. And they've just tried to make it into something maybe more entertaining than what it actually is. It's hard to get a feel for who the Steelers are really going to go with until they do pro day visits. Because at that point, you can really track who the Steelers are going to get. They have some real requirements. Usually, all the brass is going to be at the guys' pro day who they're picking in the first or second round. We know that they like very specific measurements for certain position groups, like running backs. They like guys who are 5'11", 6 feet, like over 220. They like these big bruisers. Le'Veon, Connor, Samuels, Snell, all those guys uh, fit that mold. So Taylor, the running back from Wisconsin, is someone that they're watching, but uh, they're going to be looking a lot at running backs and tight ends, but we won't really know who they're super interested in until the pro day visits because they end up meeting with a ton of guys at the combine. I think they even met with Minka Fitzpatrick at the combine a couple years ago, but unfortunately, I mean, he's too far away. I mean, there's no way the Steelers would be able to draft a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, that's a blue chip player. You know, I, I know it's useless, but I still think it's fun to to track these 40 times. And I, I had a, I had a theory that I thought was going to blow the lid off of everything in the NFL combine, but it, it failed to materialize. I looked at the top times in the 40 over, you know, the life of the combine. And I guess everybody knows that uh, John Ross holds the record along with Dante Stallworth. Right. For four two two, And then other guys. And I was just, you know, actually number three is Dree Archer. We actually got yeah, one that, That's an un- is that was that official at the combine? He actually ran a four two six. I don't think he did officially at the combine, but either way, I don't know. Anyways, I believe whatever I read on the internet. But that is true. I mean, he ran a psycho forty. But you look at these guys. There, there are a couple names you would recognize on this list. Champ Bailey's one of them. He had a four two eight. But I was trying to, uh, I was going to make the argument. Look, the top receivers today weren't necessarily burners. And I looked at the top 10 from 2019. Michael Thomas is on there. He had a four, five, seven, which isn't a burner, but pretty damn good. No, he's, these guys all in you know, like Christian McCaffrey, Keenan Allen, DeAndre Hopkins, they're all like four and a half ish. So pretty fast. They're not track stars, track stars in my world, but NFL, yeah. NFL caliber, they're not, but they're pretty fast. Well, you just got to think about this. There is no occasion ever in any football game ever where you're going to get into a three-point stance to run a 40. And so much about those extra tenths of a second in a 40-yard dash are about your start. Like that's such a big part of of the 40. And the start does not apply 
to your NFL career at all. So if you get a couple tenths of a second off versus another guy, it might just be your start. Whereas Tyree Kill ran something like, I don't think he ran at the combine, he was still suspended for punching a girl in her pregnant stomach or something like that, or choking her. I can't remember which time it was. But um, he, uh, you know, he's probably the fastest player in the history of the NFL. Him, Deion Sanders, Daryl Green, maybe Bo Jackson. But that guy is clearly faster on the field than when his 40 said. And even Antonio Brown, exactly. So you're just looking for some ballpark stuff. I mean, if you watch the tape, you can tell how fast these guys are. So you'd be wise not to get scared off just based on maybe a time that went a little bit slower because it's just unrelated. 40 yards, no press coverage, not being touched, starting in three-point stands. But hopefully some teams are dumb enough to care about it too much and maybe somebody slips through the Steelers that way. Have you watched any of the combine this week? No, just passing highlights on ESPN and everything like that. So I was watching the tight end drills. How angry would you be if the guy throwing you the balls, they were doing one particular drill where they oh, started yeah. doing a lateral and then it had like bolt downfield and, and catch a pass. And you know what? They're not throwing 10 yard outs. They're throwing like 20, 25 yards out. <laughs> not every pass is accurate. So these, some of these guys aren't getting a shot at catching the ball. These drills look like the ones when you were used to play lacrosse when you were a kid, they'd have 25 mm-hmm. guys and you get to catch the ball like once every half hour because that's the way the drill ran. Well, they didn't give you an opportunity. And that's what these guys are all waiting for this five seconds to show what they can do. And the quarterback misses them. That must be really frustrating. I'd like to hear the the patter on Pratter. Pratter. That's a great point because even just think about the quarterbacks too. Like it's a weird sensation to – go up to the front of the line, get a throw, go to the back of the line, wait for 10, 15 other guys to go, and then throw again. Uh, once again, never going to happen in the NFL world. That's not a totally good simulation. But that's why the, the value of the combine is valued incorrectly in the general public. They just want to see these guys in person. They know, they're not like saying – you know what, this dude actually completed 20 passes in a row at the combine. He had a fifth round grade on us for the tape, but now that we see him, he's amazing. You're not moving that much based on those things. It's really just to make sure the tape matches up with what you look like in person and to get the medicals and to get the personal interviews. But the NFL wanting to televise everything has probably worked it up into maybe the, the common fan. We see it and we think like, yeah, these drills matter a lot. And I'm not saying that they don't, but they don't matter in the way that we think they do. They're not really changing that much as much as they are confirming what, what you've seen on tape. These guys all have ADHD and they're trying to tie their mouth before the interviews. And then they test them. There you go. In a darkened room with a naked light bulb. That's part of what they do. They ask them, um, who do they ask? The giant tackle, the, like the six, seven, six, nine guy from Louisville. They ask them like how much on a scale of one to 10 do you like partying? And they ask you stuff like that. They really try and trick you. If you have any issues with their past, they try and see how you would ju- how you address those, you know, any legal issues or anything like that. And uh, they just want to see what kind of dude you are. Hey, so XFL watch is going to have to wait until next week because Landry and Dallas does not play Houston until 4 p.m. Eastern time today, but we will have an update next week on him. When anything else? Good. I think that's it. I think after all this combine stuff's over, we might have a little bit of a better pool uh, for, you know, some, some players that the Steelers are going to be looking at. We'll get more in depth into that as the pro day visits come out. Um, but there's just so many great social 
issues and conversations in the NFL right now that I think it's a little bit more fun to focus on that. Talk about those late career free agent quarterbacks or CBA discussions. And then once more specific Steelers information comes up, you bet your ass we're going to cover that. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. There's going to be more, a lot more on the horizon coming up very soon. Hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses ForgeFX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.